They got in a boat and headed off to a desolate place by themselves and to be by themselves with Jesus. But as they were going, many people saw them and recognized them, recognized them as the people who had been bringing healing and hope and the news of salvation. And this insane scene begins to develop in this passage. There's a crowd of people running on the shore alongside the boat to try to get wherever the disciples are going. And this crowd keeps growing. Not just from one town, but it says from all the surrounding towns. And are you ready for this? Because I can feel the anxiety of this passage rising as the story unfolds. Before the disciples could even get to the desolate place that they were going to get rest, that they were stealing away from and or stealing away to in order to get rest, the crowd got there first. And when they arrived at their desolate place of rest, some 5,000 people had shown up in the middle of nowhere. Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would probably be one of two things, livid or crying, and, and maybe both. This is like getting up at 5 a.m. to get to the peaceful, unadulterated Colorado mountains, but I-70 is already packed, and the parking lot to every trailhead is already full. It's like getting home at the end of a frustrating and busy day feeling tapped out and your spouse is like, we need to talk. It's like sitting down for the peace and quiet of nap time, but the wailing never stops and it turns out you actually have to take your little one to urgent care. You put your phone on silent and that needy person in your life who you care about deeply, but sometimes need a little space from, chooses to press notify anyway. <laughs> you arrive home from a long day at work and all you want to do is sit on the couch in peace and quiet, but there are your little bundles of joy waiting for you at home, hungry for love and attention. You spend all week loving your family as well as you can and you are spent and you keep being reminded of the neighbor next door and all that they're going through. You want to care for them, you want to have them over, but you have no bandwidth and you can't get them out of your head. Our lives are replete with the experience of hoped for and longed for rest when we are already tapped out, and that rest being utterly intruded upon. The disciples have returned from their missionary journey so pressed upon by the crowds that they can't even get the space to eat, and Jesus calls them away to a desolate place to rest, and before they can even get there, there are 5,000 excited, needy people who have already shown up. And when Jesus went ashore and saw the crowds, he doesn't send the crowds away. He doesn't He's not uh, doesn't see them as an interrupting, annoying people, but he sees them as a lost people. He sees a people in need, a people, as the Old Testament would say, who did not know their right hand from their left. They likely didn't understand who Jesus was truly or why he truly came. They likely didn't understand the purposes for which the disciples had brought healing and proclamations of kingdom come. They were likely following the latest thing that gave them a little bit of hope, probably without much nuance or depth. And Mark says in verse 34 that Jesus saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, not knowing who or what to follow, 
who or what to believe, who or what to put their hope into, and he had compassion on them. Jesus came for the lost. And it says at the end of verse 34 that he began to teach them many things. Some of you may be here this morning and you're like, that's me. (laughs) I don't really know what's up or what's down. The world is so full of spin and my social media is so full of spin, I don't even know who or what to believe. Every single social media scroll offers like 500 suggestions for self-care, for self-fulfillment, and a host of moral and social imperatives. And you might find yourself asking, what's even the right way to be a good person? I try really hard, but I just don't know if I'm hitting the mark or even how to hit the mark. And if that's you this morning, beloved, you're in the right place. Because this text takes us into the presence of Jesus, who sees that we are like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on us. He doesn't intend to leave us in our lostness. He begins to teach the people. And we don't know exactly what he said. We don't know his exact words, but we can infer infer from other gospels a bit of what Jesus might have taught them. The parallel story in Luke 9 tells us that Jesus welcomed the people and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That he might have explained on some level that he is the good shepherd and that he is the only way into the kingdom, this upside down, upside down kingdom that he is bringing. An entrance into life that has at its epicenter love of God, the mercy of God, and love of neighbor. If you're here this morning and you are lost, I encourage you to not read, just read this passage, but the whole gospel of Mark. And maybe after that, the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Luke, this book, this thing that we have, that we have copies of around here somewhere, if you don't have one of, you can grab a Bible at our welcome table. Jesus began to teach them because they were lost. And his teachings and the record of his life are contained in these scriptures for us so that we can know the good shepherd. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost and he has compassion on us. But as Jesus continues to teach the people late into the day, the disciples begin to grow concerned with legitimate practical matters. It says in verse 35 that the day began to grow late, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, we're in the middle of nowhere, and now we've got 5,000 people who are hungry and we're kind of responsible for Send the people away to the surrounding countryside and villages so they can buy themselves something to eat. And listen to how Jesus has the audacity to answer them. Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. It's actually emphatic. Greek, like many languages, doesn't require the inclusion of the extra pronoun here, but it does include it. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you yourselves Give them something to eat. But remember, the disciples have just returned from their missionary journey on which Jesus explicitly sent them with nothing but a staff, the clothes on their back, and the shoes on their feet. And they have returned exhausted, overwhelmed by the crowds. And Jesus said, let's steal away to a desolate place. And there are now 5,000 people in this desolate place. And when the disciples make the very reasonable suggestion 
to send the people away so they can get something to eat, Jesus says to them, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And they replied to Jesus in verse 37, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? The disciples cooperate but also seem a little exasperated. They're like, well, that is a huge task, and there's only one way to do it, to go to town and buy a ton of bread, an amount that is, that is equal to at least 200 days worth of wages for a laborer. It's a massive amount of money, especially for a group of disciples whom Jesus has instructed to embark on their journey without any money. But Jesus has something else in mind than the solution that the disciples had gone to. In verse 38, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. You know what Jesus' idea for the disciples is in this passage? Jesus' idea for them is to simply give what they have. Even if it is only five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000 people. The disciples look at this conundrum, 5,000 hungry souls, and they think they, the only way to deal with these people is if we have all the resources we need to meet all of their needs. The only options they see is if the people, uh, if the people stay is getting 200 denarii worth of, people, uh, worth of bread or the people going hungry. And Jesus, in effect, says to his disciples, what do you have to offer? Every day in our weariness, coming home at the end of a workday, showing up to church on a Sunday morning, talking to our neighbors on the sidewalk, caring for people in need in our lives and families, opening our homes to the outsiders, we think, I have so little to give. And that is absolutely true. And Jesus says, what do you have? Not, what do you wish you had to offer? That is not the question that Jesus asks us. Not, what do you wish you had to offer, but what do you have? He is not asking for his disciples to give out of their abundance, but out of their feebleness. Mark, later in, I believe it's chapter 10, verse 42, maybe it's chapter 12, verse 42, observes Jesus as he sits in the synagogue and he watches people giving uh, tremendous sums of money in the synagogue and he sees this one woman come and she gives two copper coins. And he says, do you see that woman? She gave more than all the rest. Jesus is not asking for us to give out of our abundance, but out of our feebleness. That's not to say if we have abundance that we shouldn't give, but it changes what our posture is in the midst of it. That is what Jesus wants from us. His kingdom has never been, it has never been about proficiency or competency. It has never been about finding the right people with enough charisma or enough vision, with enough skill or enough energy in the tank for the task at hand. Jesus says simply, what do you have? That's all I want. My kingdom is not about human proficiency. He calls us to a posture of open hands with the meager time and energy and money that we have. But how does that solve any problems? 
How is that sufficient to meet the needs of a weary world, of a lost and hungry people? Our mission statement, as Brad said earlier, as a church, says that we exist to become the embodied hospitality of Jesus for the glory of God and for the good of neighbor. But do we as a church community have what it takes to embody Jesus' hospitality to our neighbors when our own lives are already fragile and weary? For the disciples, there are still 5,000 hungry people, and all that they have is five loaves and two fish. And you still have 20 more neighbors you've never had over, many of whom, probably most of whom, you never even talked to. And you can't even heal the wounded and lost hearts of the ones that you are close to, let alone your own family. You've attended to one struggling child, but the other hasn't even gotten any of your attention. And this is where the gospel of Mark gives us such good news. Because Jesus is teaching his disciples a beautiful lesson that they will forget more than a few times. And he is teaching us about the nature of his kingdom and what he has called us to. What Jesus does next is absolutely essential for us to see. If we are to be the people that God has called us to be. And here's what Mark tells us in verse 39. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and of those who, and those who ate of the loaves were 5,000 men. The disciples could never have been this fruitful. They could never have been this productive. They could have never hosted this many lost sheep. They only had five loaves and two fish. And miraculously, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with 12 baskets of pieces of bread and fish left over. Addressing all of the needs of the people was never really up to the disciples. They just thought it was. But they were thinking about it wrongly. They absolutely had a role to play, and we absolutely have a role to play in God's kingdom. And Jesus has told them directly that they are to feed, God's peop- to feed the people. He calls them to be faithful to their task, but they don't have to freak out about making the right outcome happen or having enough to make it happen. And why? Because Jesus alone is the good shepherd who feeds his sheep. He provides for his people, therefore his people can trust him by loving and welcoming with the little bits that we have. We're so often overwhelmed and burned out by the depth of need that we see around us, let alone the depth of need that is inside us. And it is real. (laughs) The depth of need is real and overwhelming both outside of us and inside of us. We live in a profoundly broken, lonely, and hungry world. And when we see the depth of our need and the meagerness of what we have to offer, We tend to either work ourselves till the bone until we're burnt out in a shell of ourselves, or we never invite a single person over. 
And for most of us, we actually oscillate between the two. But Jesus has another way for us. He knows the depth of our need, and he knows our limitations. As we will be reminded of this Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, he knows that we are but dust. He knows we are limited because he has made us that way. God knows that we are limited because he has made us as limited. You cannot meet every need. You cannot welcome and direct every lost sheep. But you and I have a good shepherd who is in control, who is not bound by our limitation and who feeds lost and hungry sheep. The outcome of loving and welcoming your family and your neighbors is not up to you. It's up to him. And if you come to him in your lostness and all of your limitations, he will care for you. And if you bring other people into his presence, he will care for them. He will care for others through you. I think it's easy for us to think, I just want to get to a place where I can feel like my life is put together enough. Where I feel like I have enough in the tank to meet the needs of those around me. And then I'll start serving in table kids, inviting my neighbors over, reading the Jesus storybook Bible to my kids, caring for the needs of people I see around me. But part of what I want us to see this morning is that the disciples are not in the wilderness at the end of an exhausting missionary journey on accident. With a crowd of 5,000 lost and hungry people, Jesus actually invited the disciples to the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Jesus says to his disciples, you feed the people. Why? Because, beloved, Jesus is not simply about the business of meeting the needs of people and using the disciples to meet the needs of other people. Jesus is not simply about the business of meeting other people's needs through you. Jesus is up to more than that. Jesus is about the business of teaching his disciples to trust him. Not themselves, as they offer hospitality to a hungry world. That's what Jesus wants for us. Not simply for us to have enough to meet the needs of the people around us, or to be doing all of this incredible work, but Jesus wants us to be learning to trust him amidst the process of welcoming our neighbor and extending his mercy and love to those around us. As the disciples offer hospitality to a hungry world, you and I are not the good shepherd, and that is good news. The reason we're so often either burnt out or avoidant is because we believe we are supposed to be the good shepherd. And Jesus is intent on leading his people to places where they must give not of their abundance, but of their meagerness. So that we can hope not in ourselves or our stockpiles of energy or cash, but in the only good shepherd who can feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. The only good shepherd who sees 5,000 people in a desolate place that has promised rest and is moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
Our calling is not to be the good shepherd. Our calling is to point people to the good shepherd as we ourselves learn to look to him in faith. If you give out of your abundance, if you only ever care for the needy when you have a full bank account, invite your neighbors over when your house is spick and span, are present with your family when you feel patient, then who is the good shepherd? Who's the provider? You're pointing people to you. But Jesus has something better for us, something that's hard for us to get. And the good news is, if it's hard for us to get, we're in good company. Because even after the disciples saw this incredible miracle, 5,000 people fed by five fish or five loaves and two fish, in the very next passage that we read the end of, when the disciples were crossing back over the sea in the boat and having trouble making headway because of a, of a windstorm, Jesus does this kind of like freaky thing. <laughs> he's walking on the water and the disciples see him at a distance and they freak out because they think he's a ghost. And Jesus says to them at the end of verse 50, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. And then Mark notes this. <laughs> they were astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. They didn't get it yet. And that happens over and over and over again in the Gospels. And it happens over and over and over again in our lives. The Gospel of Mark is most likely the recorded, recorded account of Peter, one of the 12 disciples on the boat. And Mark is telling us, even after seeing five loaves and two fish feed 5,000 people, the disciples did not understand and did not remember what the good shepherd was capable of. We've probably all seen God do things through us and in us that only he could do. You may have seen God heal broken hearts and mend broken relationships and bring people into his kingdom that you never thought would darken the doors of the church. Maybe that's your own story. But we will still forget and misunderstood what, understand what Jesus is up to and capable of. We will return again to self-reliance, prone to burnout or avoidance. But beloved, we have a good shepherd who is not surprised by our slowness to learn. He knew what he was signing up for when he signed up for you to be his people. When Brad, as Brad said earlier, when he made his plan to make churches like this one, his embassy for his mercy and grace in the world, Jesus knew what he was doing and he knew that we were going to fail kind of a lot. It might be a strange encouragement, but I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus is going to take us into the wilderness, to places where we are weary, exhausted, and feel like we have nothing to give. And he'll say to us in that place, you feed them. And it's not because he's cruel. It's because he loves us. And he wants us to not only be conduits, conduits for his love to those around us, but he also wants to grow in us a trust that is not in ourselves or in our proficiencies, but in him and his provision. 
The the gathering of the disciples, these weary followers of Jesus, and 5,000 people who are lost sheep in the wilderness is not an unfortunate accident of circumstance. Jesus wants his weary disciples to understand that he is the provider. He wants lost people to understand that he is a good shepherd. But it's more than just that. In the Old Testament, God delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he brought them into the wilderness for 40 years, led by Moses. In the wilderness, he gave them water from the rock and manna, bread from heaven. He brought them to a place where they could see their provision came not from Egypt and not from their own hand, but from him. And Jesus is the new and greater Moses. He leads his people into the wilderness so that we could know that our provision comes not from our earthly citizenship. Your hope is not in being an American. It comes not in our earthly citizenship or in our own hand. We open our hearts and our homes to the broken, not because we have enough, but because God is our provider. And Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is preparing us to be a wilderness people. This is a hard thing for us to understand as Western Americans. We don't think of ourselves as wilderness people. We are trying to figure out how to make this time and this place the time and place to arrive upon. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, this ain't it. I am preparing you to be a wilderness people. You are my wilderness people because I'm coming back And then I will make all things new. But this is not that time. It's hard for us to see in the midst of a land of constant excess, where we have access to unending food and can always compare ourselves to greater excess. But despite our opulent place, God's people this side of Jesus' return are not an opulent people. We are a wilderness people. What Jesus calls us to offer, when Jesus calls us to offer hospitality in the wilderness, he is calling us to be a wilderness people. And if you don't believe me, I'm just going to read a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. It says this, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that, we were, to, that were to be spoken later. But Christ, Jesus, is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Jesus is saying, Hebrews is telling us, We are a wilderness people now. We are awaiting people. And Jesus is the new and greater Moses, and he has brought us to this place, and he takes us to places of the wilderness, not to be cruel, but to form us to be people who see Jesus truly and trust him and love others out of that. Jesus is calling us to put our trust and confidence in him. Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. If you are here and you are lost, come listen to the Good Shepherd. If you are here and weary, a weary follower of Jesus and you hear him say, You feed them. 
You open your home. Be present with your family. What do you have? Hear Jesus say, I'm not asking you to give out of your abundance, but out of your meagerness. I'm not asking you to dig deep in self-reliance. In fact, I'm calling you out of self-reliance. I'm calling you into a way, to a way of living in the wilderness that is only possible if you have a good shepherd who has more compassion than we could ever conjure up for other people and more compassion for us than we have even begun to understand and who alone is able to provide for the profound need we are surrounded by. But because we have a good shepherd, beloved, we can offer hospitality even in the wilderness. That's what we're called to, to be a people who are offering hospitality in the wilderness. There's probably no one in the world that doesn't know, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. There's parts of the world that I don't know that well. Mother Teresa is probably one of the most common household names the world around. She's become the model of service and humility and love in our modern era. She has shown the love of Jesus to thousands. As of a few years ago, um, the order that she founded consisted of over 4,500 sisters and is active in 133 countries, running hospices and homes for people with HIV and AIDS, leprosy and tuberculosis, soup kitchens, children's and families counseling programs, orphanages and schools. Their slogan is that they desire to work for the wholehearted and free service to the poorest of the poor. There's been unbelievable, amazing work accomplished through this organization. But listen to these words of Mother Teresa. Listen to what she says. She says, we do nothing. He does everything. All glory must be returned to him. God has not called me to be successful. He had called me to be faithful. Beloved, your limited love and hospitality may not be as remarkable as Mother Teresa's. In fact, it's almost guaranteed to not be. No one may ever speak of it. But Mother Teresa understood that her role was simply to give the five fish and the two loaves as a frail human being who trusted the good shepherd with the outcome. So when you find yourself overwhelmed by the task of reaching a world of lost and hungry sheep, do you assume that you have to have enough to meet every need and have every neighbor over into your home? Or do you see what the good shepherd calls you to? feeble faithfulness, offering what little you have and entrusting it to him. May God give us the grace to live as a wilderness people, offering hospitality to those around us, not because we got it, but because Jesus is our good shepherd. I'll pray briefly and then we'll hop into a couple questions. Uh, Father, we, <laughs> we come this morning and we are overwhelmed uh, by the reality of how little we have to offer. But Father, would you teach us to be people <laughs> who stop seeing that as the metric for whether or not we can offer hospitality? But Lord, would you teach us to start seeing the metric <laughs> as you being the good shepherd? That's all we need. But Lord, 
you know, just like the disciples that we uh, forget and we're going to keep forgetting. But Lord, would you teach us? We we ask uh, with hesitation and a little bit of fear and anxiety, would you take us to the wilderness places that we need to go in order to learn, (laughs) to trust you more deeply, and to see that you are the true provider? We pray this in Jesus' name. All right. Great question. Let's start with this one. I'm depressed, medicated, withdrawing from many things that usually give me life, including giving people my time and energy. I'm empty. My process so far has been to ask Jesus into this place with me, not knowing how long it will last. Should I rather be asking him for supernatural energy that overcomes my emotional lack so that I can be there for others even in the season of utter depletion. Man, I love this question, and thank you for asking it. (laughs) Because this question, I think, gets at the root of this for all of us, right? I think that we are a people who are so incredibly prone to when we get really tired, we're like, how do we conjure it? (laughs) Jesus is not asking you to conjure it, beloved. All Jesus is asking us to do is to take people to him with us. You know, I think about evangelism, for example. We talk about evangelism a lot, and I I know so often I've had this conversation a thousand times with students over the years in campus ministry and with others and with myself in my head. (laughs) We're always like, how do I show people that my life is different in some good way because I know Jesus? And there's so many layers to that, but the bottom line of that is that, like, what we're trying to do is we're trying to pretend in order to show, we're trying to show people that we don't need Jesus in order to convince them that they need Jesus. Jesus has a better way for us. What Jesus is asking us to do is to say to our neighbors and to people we love to just share, man, I am struggling I've got nothing. And I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread. But I believe on my best days that Jesus has me. And on my worst days, I got a people that reminds me that he does when I don't remember it. That's what we're called to. You don't have to conjure it. We're simply living out of the feebleness and the places that we are and offering open hands and taking people back to the Jesus that we have to go back to over and over again. I know there's lots of practical questions in that um, that are are also worth asking and wrestling with. I know that there are seasons, of course, at times where we have to set up certain uh, boundaries and things in order to protect ourselves when we are utterly exhausted and and set aside times where we actually recognize our limitations. But I think so often the paradigms of our sort of modern therapeutic speak of self-care, we often don't realize that it's it's not actually a way to freedom or rest. It's just part of the oscillating between burnout and avoidance. And Jesus is actually calling us to a different way, to be people who are wrestling, who are engaging with our limitations, who are not pushing ourselves to places where we're conjuring something, going beyond our limitations, but we're people who are wrestling with what it means to be limited um, and to extend uh, love uh, to others. There's a lot more that could be explored in that, but man, what a fantastic question, and thank you for asking it. And one last question. Um, 
Okay. Um, isolation makes giving more difficult. Truth. I'm connected to multiple neighbors and friends who haven't met Jesus yet. However, I'm not sure that we as a family would have support from other Christians at the table if we said, let's have dinner with all of them. However, my non-Christian friends uh, make time for me and support me. They see me. Sometimes more than my church friends. How can I proceed in this mess? <laughs> Great question. Well, to, uh, to the point that I uh, tried to make earlier and of, Jesus, of, of Mark pointing out that the, Jesus, that, uh, the disciples... Um, uh, still didn't understand about the loaves. Um, welcome to the church. There are a lot of people here, myself included on many days, that don't understand about the loaves. <laughs> so we are all going to be failing at this together. <laughs> that's not a question. That's a certainty. The question is, can we engage one another in the midst of that struggle? Can we say, I'm really struggling with this. I have this one neighbor. Can you pray for them with me? And maybe can we think about what's something that we can do simple with them? I, I think we have to start small, but we also have to invite others into the conversation with us of where we're wrestling and to pray together would be my encouragement as a place uh, to start with that. Um, we're going to move to the table, but I'm going to pray for us um, uh, as we do that. And uh, man, there's, uh, there's so much to wrestle with in this. And my hope is that as we, as is hopefully the case with every sermon, and this is also part of why we do sermon discussions in community groups, that what we do on Sunday morning is the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> there is a lot of working this out that we have to do, and there's a lot of particularity to each of our lives of what that looks like to do, but we can do that together. Let me pray for us. Uh, Jesus, um, you know us better than we know ourselves, and we are both um, sometimes a little scared by that <laughs> and also really grateful. Uh, because we need to be reminded that you are a good shepherd, not contingent on us having sufficient self-understanding or on us uh, having enough together or even on us knowing our brokenness well enough. But Lord, all that you call us to is based on you being a good shepherd. Would you remind us of that as we eat this bread and wine and as we sing these songs? We pray this in Jesus' name.